Hi there, it's Melvin. Just wanted to take a moment to thank the team over at Thryzer for supporting this month's podcast sessions. Thryzer is a payment platform that you have to check out if you are a private pay therapist and accepting out-of-network benefits. It basically helps clients save on therapy up front. Thryzer can help verify a client's out-of-network benefit ahead of the first session so that they get transparency up front on what their out-of-pocket costs will be. I'll tell you more about Thryzer here in the middle of our session, but if you go to sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer, uh, you actually end, then enter the code STC upon sign up, you get your first $2,500 in fees waived. Again, that's over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer and be sure to enter the promo code STC. So we'll jump right into today's podcast session. Hi there, welcome to session 106 of Selling the Couch. Hope today's podcast finds you and your loved ones doing amazingly well. It, uh, it has been a good season. Um, I'm excited for the new year and I'm still feeling a good amount of energy and excited. I've jumped into private practice and things are going well. So, um, I hope you are doing similarly well. Today's podcast is with a friend, uh, with a clinician. Her name is Nicole Burgess. Nicole is a marriage and family therapist. And uh, we're talking all about Nicole's private practice journey. Nicole actually has a pretty interesting work history. She was actually an accountant and then a business analyst before becoming a clinician and a private practitioner. So we are talking all about what Nicole has learned along the way. I wanted to have Nicole on the podcast because one, I've gotten to know her and I know that she's built this like just beautiful private practice and a private practice. I think that that thinks a lot about what she wants in her life, this idea of building a practice around her life instead of the other way around. And, um, and I wanted to have her on just to share her wisdom. So we're going to talk a lot about um, some of the fears that Nicole's had along the way. But, um, we really tackle this idea of setting goals and setting realistic goals in private practice, but also not seeing what others are doing and letting that influence or letting that shift some of the goals that we may have set. We also talk about how Nicole's background as an accountant and some of the lessons that she's learned along the way has been really helpful when it comes to things like setting fees as a clinician. So we'll get right to it. Here is my conversation with Nicole Burgess from Nicole cburgess.com. Hi, Nicole. Welcome to Selling the Couch. Well, thank you for having me on, Melvin. I'm so excited about our conversation today. Yeah, when I reached out to you, you know, I've gotten to know you and I was like, man, Nicole, one, she serves such a, a unique population and one where there's just such a need. And then two, I just love your personality. So I was like, man, I have to have her on just to talk <laughs> about building her practice and, and what she's learned along the way. Well, thank you. You know, when I have clinicians on, I always like to start out by asking them a quote or something that's inspired them on their private practice journey, something that keeps them grounded. What would that be for you? I have really kind of two quotes, but I'm going to give the one that I really fall back to the most. And it's a long one. So bear with me. 
but it's from Marianne Williamson, and it's from her book, Return to Love, Reflections on the Principles of A Course in Miracles. And it states, you know, quote, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us. It's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others, end quote. Wow. What a beautiful quote. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, I just have to keep going back to that sometimes because when you get out of your comfort zone, it's like, okay, I just, I kind of like my comfort zone. Let me go back there. And that helps me keep going forward. Yeah. I mean, just that, what a like beautiful image of that we all have a light and that we're all meant to shine it in the world and that it doesn't have to be arrogant or conceited or anything like that, but it's a gift that we offer to the world. Yes, absolutely. As private practitioners, how do you think we can apply that quote? Well, I think really, you know, we do one, the world needs healers and that's what we do. And it's also remembering we're humans. So when we are, you know, in our own private practice, we're not only holding clients where they are, but it's holding ourselves and, and supporting one another in this journey and this growth. And it's remembering, you know, our clients need us just as, you know, the world needs healers. So when we play small, people don't know that you're out there. People don't know you exist. And so keep stepping into that light and showing the world that you're out there and you're ready to support, you're ready to help heal. And I think that's really something that we have to remember. It's like, yeah, when we just kind of sit back in our office going, well, I hope a client's going to call, <laughs> you know, it doesn't do the world any good because it's like they got to see who you are. They need to know that you're there. And I, I was just thinking like, when we hold that light to ourselves, right? People don't see it. But I think like even as business owners, right? When we hold stuff in or when we're sitting in that office by ourselves and those fears and doubts are going through our minds, inevitably it affects the work we do. And mm -hmm. both as, I think both as clinicians, but also as business owners. Yeah, absolutely. I wanted to take a little bit of a step back and talk about your private practice journey because I just think, um, you know, we started and you said, one of the fears that you had about, you know, being on STC was, I don't have this massive practice. And I, and, you know, I shared with you that for me, it's not just about, you know, folks that have had built massive practices, which is, of course, great and awesome, but it's folks that have done all sorts of practices, right? Whatever that looks mm -hmm. like for them and, and fits with their life. What motivated you to get started in private practice? Well, so I'm originally licensed in California, and I had worked with agencies there, and I stepped into the private practice realm at, when I was an intern, and I was working under a wonderful supervisor at that time. And so once I got licensed, you know, I 
truly had my own private practice going. I then decided, well, I want to move where the cost of living is a little less because I wanted to buy some property. So I moved to North Carolina and unfortunately they wouldn't recognize my hours and they wanted me to do redo all of them. And I said, ah, that's not going to happen. Wow, the whole so, thing? Yeah. Oh so not necessarily going through the grad school, but all yeah. the you know thousands of hours they had because right. they wouldn't recognize the supervisors I had. So during that process, California has its own test for marriage and family therapist, which is my degree. And so I took those two tests. Most of the other parts of the country here have a national test for MFTs. So I studied for that, took that test. And since I couldn't get licensed in North Carolina or I didn't want to wait and get supervision, blah, blah, I then got licensed in Tennessee. They did a um, reciprocity that I could do. And I worked at an agency there. And the experience between those two states was from between just California and Tennessee, the amount of work, it was it was just unimaginable. So I was like, okay, I'm going to move back to Indiana where there's family and things like that. So again, I, I moved and got reciprocity. So my license is still good. So I've taken multiple tests. I even had to take another oral test when I was in Tennessee. So for any of you who are MFTs, I just recommend double checking what the licensure rules are <laughs> before you, you move. And I, I wanted to go into private practice because I wanted more flexibility in the schedule and not be told I had to see, you know, 10 to 15 clients per day and that I had to work, you know, straight 30 to 40 hours doing the clinical piece of it. It was just, it was unsustainable for me. And being in private practice, you know, I, I've kind of, I call it morphed over the years. I used to work with really little kids and families and now I work much more with, you know, teen girls and women, and I absolutely love it. And that's the other thing I like about private practice. We get to change as we grow professionally, as we grow into our business, we get to make those decisions and continue to make it the practice we want it to be and have those ideal clients come in. Yeah, it's so well said. I was thinking like when you were talking about getting those hours and I actually had a similar struggle in between, you know, finishing up my postdoc and getting the license, but... What do you think that experience, just reflecting back, how do you think that experience has made you a better private practitioner? Well, you know, I had some really good supportive friends because I had so many days of doubt and frustration of like, I'm never going to get through this. This is not ever going to happen. I've got to move back to California. And just the support of saying, hey, just take it one moment at a time, that really good reminder of being present and keep taking the next step. And so when I reflect back on that, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's just another obstacle that happens in life. Mm. And you do, you just keep taking the next step and you learn from that and are able to really, I guess, kind of empathize or you can have more compassion for clients when they come in, when they're taking steps to do something different, whether it's getting out of an abusive relationship or ending a relationship or whatever it may be. It's like, okay, I get it on some level. I've, you know, I can step into their shoes and understand that. You just said something just so key. And I just thought it was so beautifully said. You said it is about taking that next step when we want to accomplish our goals. I know for me, I struggle with this both with STC and private <laughs> practice, which is that I want STC and my private practice to be like where it should be like 10 years from now. Yep. <laughs> so my mind fast forwards to that. But you just said what is it's really key because just all the stuff I've read and just the lessons I've learned, like in it is about realizing that you do have this big dream, but it's mm -hmm. not 
that dream only happens if you take the first logical step, right? Yes. Yeah, I guess this is a practical example for me. Like, you know, I want to have X number of clients in private practice. I imagine that most folks struggle with this, right? But the key thing is not to get, you know, let for me, we were talking about this, like I will likely be only in private practice for one day a week. And so for me, it's between three and five clients is all I need. But I should think about five clients. But what I really should be thinking about is what are the relationships that I can establish that down the line, they'll connect me and I can help them. And, you know, they'll be a source of support as, as I find my ideal clients. Yeah, that's it, right? That's what we do as clinicians is we establish relationships. And so it's the exact same thing with your business. You're creating relationships that support you. You can support them. That's the give and take of it. Yeah, it's really focusing on those relationships. Right. So how, I guess for you, this is like a really practical question, but like, how do you hold that? How do you hold this idea that this is what I want my private practice to look like, but realizing that this is the step, Nicole, this is the step you need to take right now, right? <laughs> so, you know, I have, I'm pretty big on goal setting. And over the last year and a half, for some reason, I really kind of let that fall by the wayside, I think, because I was kind of morphing what I wanted my practice to look like. So I lost some sight in that. So now I'm back more into the goal setting, looking at the big picture of what I want and then breaking it backing into taking those smaller steps of like, if that's my big goal, how am I going to get from A to Z? Because it, you can't jump from A to Z. So for me, it's really goal setting and then creating the smaller steps to get there. Yeah, no, I love the way you say that. We were talking about this before uh, <laughs> before we get started, but we're both doing the five days to your best year ever with uh -huh. Michael Hyatt's course. And I actually just finished and you're starting it next week as we record mm -hmm. this. But one of the key things in there, he, he talks a lot about that high achievers, one of the things that they do is they have these big dreams, but they break it down into these micro steps, right? And so it's this mm -hmm. really, the, the thing you should always be asking yourself is what's the next logical step that I need to be taking to mm -hmm. accomplish whatever that, that goal is that I have for myself? Yeah, absolutely. It's funny, I've done a boot camp this year as well. And so you had to ask folks around you to give you three words of your strengths. And many of my friends said, you know, I'm very goal oriented. And I was like, yep, I am. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, goals are good. But I, I, you said something else, which is key, which is it's not just about setting goals as a business owner, but it's going back to your why, right? Yeah. Like, why is that goal important to you? Right? So, you know, for me, and tell me like your thoughts, but like, I think a lot about private practice now, right? And serving entrepreneurs. And I think one is, of course, to to build a successful business. But I think my why is, I want to be at least a person that can help entrepreneurs not struggle, you know, with the fears and the doubts, because I think there's so many gifted people in the world and their light, you know, that idea of the light, their light doesn't shine when they're hindered by fear. Yeah. And that's beautifully said. I think my why for the clientele that I'm working with, it's because I've had feedback over the years from the women clients about stating, you know, if they grew up in an abusive home or in a bad relationship kind of thing, they're like, I wish I would have had a therapist like you to guide me to help unlearn things. And so part of why I like working with teen girls and then women is one, it's being more proactive in things, mm -hmm. right? It's trying to change that future course to be a healthier one. So that's what brings me, that's my why. Why do I do what I'm doing? And I know if I can really get people, you know, when they were younger, it's even being more proactive, right? But 
trying to get the parents to buy into it as well. And so for me, it's just like, no, where my natural flow is now is more the teens and the women. And yeah, it's like wanting to be that resource that they know they've got a safe place to come. Well, and I think so like that when we focus on our why, it becomes more of an intrinsic motivation, right? It's not just about accomplishing that goal, but it's about doing this work for a, a much bigger purpose. Right. Yep, absolutely. And that stuff is a lot more sustainable and long lasting. True. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> At least that's what I'm learning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just a, another kind of quick and related question. But as you were building your private practice, like what are some of the biggest fears that you had? Oh, that it would totally disbomb, that I would never get a client, even though when I started it in California, there was zero evidence that that would be the case mm-hmm. because I had some of the clients that I worked at agency, they just transferred right over to the private practice piece of it. And when I started with, you know, when I moved back to Indiana in 2010, it was about just really getting my network out there. Again, I started in an agency, started to create connections that way, got some networking going. And I knew it's like eventually it will come and it has. But it's all about establishing those relationships. But that biggest fear was like, oh, this isn't going to work. And I'm like, where's the evidence to back it up? I talk with my clients about. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I I don't know what it's like for you. Like for me, sometimes I feel like when I in the business, right, like, and I have these fears come up, I totally forget what I learned in grad school. (laughs) Right. Right. I think, you know, you and I were talking a little bit too about, I also have a background in accounting. Mm-hmm. So I've had, this is like my third career. So I've been an, a cost accountant, I've been a business analyst, and now I'm a therapist. And so I have to go back also to my business background and go, okay, wait a minute, you crunch the numbers, you know, what's working, what's not working based on your numbers. So that was the other thing I really had to help kind of remind myself of. It's like, you know what you're doing, just again, take one step at a time, and <laughs> move through the fear. Yeah, I mean, I think we were talking about this, that when you can write down objective numbers, like both Mm -hmm. in terms of like what you need, and what you can charge, I think a lot of times what happens is the emotional part of setting fees and being a business owner wraps so much up with the logical, like the math part, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And separating that out, like, I don't know, for it sounds like that's what you're saying, right? That's a key step. Yeah, so... There's, you know, in the the peer group that I'm involved with, you know, we kind of laugh because the way my mind works, right, because it's, that's what my undergrad is in is in accounting is, all right, how many clients is that going to take for me to be able to cover that expense? And I will break it down into that. It's like, I know what it is. I know what my, you know, expenses are for personal life, home life, what my expenses are for business. And if I want to add above and beyond that, I literally break it down in my mind. It's like, do I have to have more clients? Is there a way I can take this away? But yeah, I always do the, (laughs) how many clients does it take to equal whatever? (laughs) No, that's a great way of looking at it. How do you think that has helped you move forward when you've had some of these critical moments in private practice where, you know, the, the tendency might be just to like, be scared and not do anything? So I think for me, when I give myself pause, I can really look at, okay, am I doing that? Is it a fear? Because again, fear of missing out is a fear of comparison. And when I'm able to really look back at that, and more often than not, I think for me, it's anymore, it's this comparison game that I'm really trying to manage that better. That it's like, you know, if if I postpone it these next couple months, you know, that item, that thing, whatever it is I think I need to have, isn't going to go anywhere. 
And if it does, your business is still going well and strong. You don't have to have that. You just want it, Hmm. right? So it's really going back and trying to keep myself grounded in here's where you are. If you want this thing or you want to be able to take this, you know, conference or whatever, how do you build that into your budget going forward? Right. So then in doing that process, it becomes more of a, like a map decision as opposed to a, an emotional one. Yes. Yep. And I think we're not saying that emotion should not play a factor in. in No, 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 not at all. Yeah. It's just more, I think, because we're for many of us helpers and healers, the emotion part is probably the stronger part. Mm-hmm. And it's that sense of balancing that with some objective data. Correct. Because, you know, it's the hardest part in this field, right? It's I've talked with other clinicians who are really struggling financially because it is it's like the emotional piece does kind of take over and it's like, okay, let's slow down, back it up a little bit. Where are you at? And once they start knowing the numbers, then, you know, you watch that practice begin to thrive more because they feel more confident in knowing how to just look at it. Mm. And then it's like, okay, yeah, you don't have to totally neglect, you know, all these fun, cool things that you want to go do and help build your business. But it's doing it in a more, I guess, kind of strategic way is the way I think about it. One of the ideas that you were talking about earlier, you didn't use this phrase, so I'll just insert this phrase in, but it's this (laughs) idea of pacing, right? Yeah. Tell me like more about that, like how that's been helpful for you as a clinician. Well, it's been huge because I'm an introvert, like I know many, many other therapists are. And if I try to outdo things, I get overwhelmed pretty quickly. And this year, you know, I again changed a lot of things. I've added a podcast and all that. And I've watched my overwhelm go up. And I really have to be conscious of, hey, it's okay to pace it. You don't need to do everything that's on the list and you can't do everything on the list. So again, it's the slow and steady, as you've talked about quite often, you know, slow and steady kind of wins the race. And it's very true. And it's looking back of like, okay, so I started over here. And when I slowly take that next step and I keep that ultimate goal in the horizons and I'm you know, getting the details and going with those smaller goals, where am I at and where am I going and what has happened? So you can measure a lot of that and you can then really reflect on what your progress has been, what's worked and what's not worked. Yeah. And like, I just love all of those concepts that you're talking about. I think it's Ramit Sethi that talks about this idea of as business owners, um, this idea of like learning to manage our emotions, mm-hmm. not getting rid of them, but learning to manage right. them because we never want emotions being the sole thing that guide business decisions. Correct. Um, to me, it's similar to what we tell our clients, right? right. You want them to be able to respond, not react. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it's the same thing in our business. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, that's just, yeah, that is exactly what it is. Are you ready for the hot couch round? Sure. Okay. What's a daily habit that you believe contributes to your success? So for me, again, being an introvert, I have to start my morning in quiet. And what I mean by that is there's no TV, no internet, no nothing I need to be checking because I just need that kind of calmness to start my day. And then I give myself permission to either read a business book or a a book for fun for about 15 minutes to maybe 30 minutes. That really helps me get grounded in the day and let the day slowly unfold versus kind of jump into it full force. Yeah, it's like a a pause before the day starts. Yes. (laughs) What's an online resource that's been invaluable on your private practice journey? For me, it's been psychology today. Again, when I 
first started to get my practice going, you know, trying to create new networks and relationships and all that, the psychology day really helped keep my name out there and then get to kind of look at other therapists in the area close to where my office was so I could reach out to them as well. So that was very helpful and has continues to be helpful. Yes, I like that. You both think of it as a way to serve and attract clients, but you also use it as a tool to connect with other colleagues. Yes. What's your favorite business-related book? So I've got two of them, right? So again, my background's in business, and so I've read, I don't know how many different business books when I was in that field. But I started out with, you know, Casey Trufo's book, The Be a Wealthy Therapist. But I also like, there's a Michael Port, it's called Book Yourself Solid. And it also, it relates to kind of the therapy world too. And I liked how his step-by-step process is in that. So I started that last year and I continued to kind of work through it and hone in, getting a little more defined with, you know, my elevator speech and the niche and all that good stuff. I really liked his step-by-step process. Yeah, that's a that's a book that's on my list to uh, to read, the Michael Port one. Yeah. What's one tip that you would give to someone who's thinking about starting a private practice? Have a support system. To me, that is critical. And when I say support system, it may not be family members, because even though family members can be well-intentioned sometimes, they don't necessarily understand this field and may not embrace the risk-taking that you're doing. So really looking for supports, whether it is family or friends, that just allow you to be you and hold you where you are and not try and tell you you can't because it's not attainable. So it sounds like just some sort of an accountability group or mastermind or something like that has been helpful. Well, not even that. I mean, that is helpful, but I'm talking more about just truly having um, friends or folks that are like, wow, that's amazing. You're going to start this private practice. You're taking these risks. It's so cool. And you can go to them with your doubts and your fears and they don't try and dismiss it. They don't try and make it any different. They just hold you where you are and you can lean into that so you can keep moving forward. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. People that are there with you and encourage you. Yeah. Imagine that you were starting your private practice journey all over again. You have $500 and a laptop. What's that first step that you would take toward building your private practice? I'd say you start with building a website and whether that's even just the front page of it, right? Just so you start to get your name out there a little more on the internet. I've had many clients tell me that, you know, when they started to search for a therapist, they're like, yeah, a lot of you guys don't have a website. And I'm like, seriously, you know, I know many clinicians who do, but that's really where so many people go to anymore because of mobile phones and all of that. So I'd say just start a website. It doesn't have to be perfect. Just get your name out there and you can keep modifying it as you go. Great advice. Nicole, you are off the hot couch. Yay! (laughs) You did such a wonderful job. Tell us a little bit about where we can find you, both your private practice, and I know that you jumped into the podcasting space. So tell us a little bit about the podcast as well. All right. So my private practice is here in Indianapolis. And so I've got kind of two websites. My private practice website is actually Nicole C. Burgess.com. You've got to put that letter C in there. Otherwise, you'll go up to a realtor in Canada. <laughs> so, <laughs> and then my other website is launchingyourdaughter.com, which takes you to the podcast page. And that's the name of my podcast. It's really geared towards parents and caregivers of tween and teen girls and trying to provide some, you know, education, information about different professions, different skills, all of that. 
So it's called launchingyourdaughter.com and it's on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, lots of places. Awesome. Well, you've done such a wonderful job with it and I'm super proud of you. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for doing this and uh, have a wonderful rest of your day. Well, thank you so much for having me on, Melvin. I really appreciate it. Take good care. Hi there. Hope you enjoyed my conversation with Nicole and I hope that it uh, gives you much encouragement, especially no matter where you are on the private practice journey, and especially if you're struggling with setting realistic goals for yourself as a private practitioner and also uh, with regard to some of the struggles that we all have with setting fees. Nicole mentioned a number of resources, including several books, and you can find that at sellingthecouch.com forward slash session 106. I put all of that information in the show notes for you. Have a wonderful rest of your week, and if you would love to continue the conversation, we would love to have you. Please join the Selling the Couch community. There are now over 3,500 clinicians there, and it's just a wonderful community. You can find it at sellingthecouch.com forward slash community. Have a wonderful rest of your day, and take good care. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Selling the Couch podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit www.sellingthecouch.com. So if you've been listening to the STC podcast for a while, or you've been listening to podcasts and you've had this thought of Mel, I would love to launch my own podcast in order to grow my business. Just wanted to encourage you to check out our free podcasting workshop, which is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop. You can basically sign up at a day and a time that works for you. It's 90 minutes. And when I do these workshops or when I record them, I truly believe in the quality teaching, so it's going to be well worth your time. We're going to go through gear recommendations and how to launch strategically and how to think about monetizing your podcast and how to line up your podcast with your existing offers and how to do it strategically and authentically uh, and not salesy and slimy um, and all of those things. So again, the link is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop.